Volume Three, Chapter Eight of Willard's Weird by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Eight, The Last Link. Heathcote returned to Paris on the morning after his interview with the Baron, and found Miss Meyerstein's telegram, and with it Hilda's long and explanatory letter. The girl expressed herself so temperately, with such firm resolve, such generous feeling, that her brother could not find it in his heart to be angry with her for what she had done. He had never desired her marriage with Bothwell Graham. He desired it least of all now. Wedding bells would have been, indeed, out of tune with the dark purpose for which he was working. He had yielded at Dora Willard's entreaty. He had yielded because his sister's happiness had seemed to be at stake. But now that she had of her own accord relinquished her lover he was not inclined to interfere with her decision Nor was he alarmed at miss Meyerstein's telegram informing him of Hilda's departure in the early morning His faith in his sister's common sense and earnestness was of the strongest The tone of her letter was not that of a girl who was bent upon any perilous course of action He felt assured that she would do nothing to bring discredit upon her name or her family and that if it pleased her to disappear for a little while so as to give her lover the opportunity of jilting her in a gentlemanlike manner she might be safely entrusted with the management of her own life she was well provided with money having the cheque which her brother had sent her a few days before her flight there was therefore no ground for uneasiness at the idea of her helplessness among strangers a girl of nineteen sensibly brought up with strong self-respect and two hundred and fifty pounds in her possession could hardly come to grief anywhere i wish she had taken her maid with her thought heathcote and this was almost his only regret in the matter for not a moment did he doubt that bothwell would take advantage of his recovered liberty and go back to his old love hilda had dwelt in her letter upon lady valeria's grace and distinction her fortune and the position to which she could raise her husband edward heathcote did not give bothwell credit for the strength of mind which could resist such temptations a weak yielding nature a man open to the nearest influence that was how he judged bothwell graham he remembered the young man's conduct at the inquest his resolute refusal to say what he had done with his time in plymouth rather than bring lady valeria's name before the public that dogged loyalty had argued a guilty love and could heathcote doubt that when called upon to choose between the old love and all its surrounding advantages and the new love with its very modest expectations bothwell would gladly return to his first allegiance assured of this heathcote was content that his sister should live down her sorrow after her own fashion better he thought that she should take her own way of bearing her trouble just as he had done in the days long gone when the light of his life had been suddenly extinguished it was not in sluggish repose that he had sought the cure of his grief but in work and in movement from place to place he remembered hilda's often expressed desire to study at one of the great musical academies of the continent and he thought it very likely she had gone to florence or milan 
he had seen mademoiselle duprez and hilda putting their heads together had heard the little woman protest that such a voice as hilda's ought to be trained under an italian sky he could read some such purpose as this between the lines of his sister's letter this being so he was content to let things take their course more especially as his own mind was full of another subject and his own life was devoted to another purpose than running after a fugitive sister he wrote a reassuring letter to poor miss meyerstein and he waited patiently for further tidings from hilda his first business after his return to paris was to find eugene tillet the portrait painter he had noticed the signature of tillet on some of the illustrations in the petit journal and he inquired at the office of that paper for the artist's address and for other information respecting him he was told that monsieur tillet lived in the rue du bac with his father and mother and that he was one of a numerous family all artistic his father was eugene tillet who had once been a fashionable painter but who had dropped out of the race and was now almost entirely dependent on the industry of his sons and daughters this made things easy enough it would seem but heathcote remembered his failure with sigismond trottier and he feared that in eugene tillet he might perhaps encounter the same loyal regard for an unfortunate friend again tillet might have been warned by trottier and might be on his guard against any act which could betray the assassin whom he had once reckoned amongst his friends it was certain that the painter would remember his friend's face it was probable that he had some likeness of the missing man in his sketch-book he was out at elbows idle a man content to live luxurious on the labour of others such a man would be especially open to pecuniary temptation he had begun with brilliant successes had ended in failure and obscurity such a man must have suffered all the acutest agonies of wounded vanity and he would be therefore easily moved by praise arguing thus with himself during his walk to the rue du bac heathcote arranged his course of action he would approach monsieur tillet as an amateur a collector of modern art and would offer to purchase some of his sketches this would lead naturally to an inspection of old sketchbooks and to confidences of various kinds from the painter as a lawyer and a man of the world edward heathcote considered himself quite equal to the occasion it was three o'clock in the afternoon when he rang the bell on the second floor of the house over the glovers the neat-looking maid-servant who answered his summons informed him that monsieur tillet pere was at home everybody else was out the ci-devant portrait painter was smoking the pipe of peace by the family hearth a human monument of departed ambitions bright hopes that had melted into darkness softly and slowly like the red light of a fusée he yawned as he rose to receive his visitor he stood in front of the hearth tall long-limbed slouching slovenly but with a countenance that still showed traces of intellectual power despite the evident decadence physical and mental of the man his complexion had the unhealthy pallor which indicates a life spent within four walls and already that pallor was assuming the sickly greenish hue of the absent drinker i have to apologize for intruding upon you without any introduction monsieur tillet began heathcote taking the seat to which the painter motioned him 
but although i have neither card nor letter i do not come to you entirely as a stranger i was yesterday with the baron de maucroix a lady whom you must remember as her son was once your friend madame de maucroix poor soul muttered the painter i am not likely to forget her i believe that portrait of mine has been of more comfort to her than anything else in the world since her son's unhappy death it is a remarkable portrait said heathcote with enthusiasm he was careful to show neither interest nor curiosity about the circumstances of Moqua's death he was there in the character of an amateur interested solely in art it is one of the finest pictures i ever saw he went on neither reynolds nor gainsborough ever painted anything better monsieur is too good your english painters have produced some very fine portraits there are heads by gainsborough and reynolds which leave very little to be desired though the treatment of the arms and hands is sometimes deplorably flimsy you others have not the realistic force of the paris school your millet has a rubens like brio but he paints with a butter knife your leighton has grace and a keen feeling for beauty but he is cold and shadowy so you saw my portrait of poor mauquois yes i think it was in my best manner but it was in the portraiture of women that i was strongest i have been told by two partial judges that the head over the escritoire yonder is worthy of titian it is an exquisite piece of colour answered heathcote rising to scrutinise the unfinished duchess i was a genius when i painted that picture said tillet with a moody look but it is all past and done with i am glad to think you appreciated my portrait of the baron de maucroix a splendid subject a fine young fellow may i ask the name of my gracious admirer my name is heathcote said the visitor laying his card upon the table in front of monsieur tillet the painter stared at him with a look of extreme surprise heathcote he repeated and then examined the card you seem surprised at the mention of my name said heathcote have you ever heard it before today the painter had recovered himself by this time he told himself that his visitor was in all probability hilda's brother and it was his duty to his fair young friend to conceal the fact of her residence under that roof he was capable of so much perspicuity as this but he was quite incapable of prompt action he was too listless to make an excuse for leaving his visitor in order to put the servant upon her guard and so prevent hilda's appearance before mr heathcote's departure the chances were thought tillet that the englishman's visit would be brief while on the other hand hilda had gone to the conservatoire and was not likely to return for some time having argued thus with himself the painter was content to trust to the chapter of accidents which had been of late years the principal chapter in the history of his life if you don't mind smoke he murmured with a longing look at his cigarette case i am a smoker myself and i delight in it on this monsieur tillet offered his case to the englishman and lighted a cigarette for himself yes i have heard your name before he said slowly and reflectively i think it must have been from my friend trottier sigismond trottier one of the contributors to the town he has mentioned an english acquaintance called heathcote perhaps you are that gentleman 
yes i know trottier answered heathcote far from pleased at finding that the painter and the paragraphist were intimate it was not unlikely that trottier had warned his friend against answering any questions about georges then i think you must have heard a good deal about me said eugene tillet with a satisfied smile trottier knew me when i was in the zenith of my power glorious days glorious nights those the days of gautier and gustave planche villemesson roqueplan the days when there were wits in paris monsieur ah you should have seen our after midnight cenacle at the cafe riche how the pale dawn used to creep in upon our talk and how we defied the waiters when between two and three o'clock they tried to put out the gas and get rid of us i remember how one night we all came with candle ends in our pockets and when the waiters began to lower the gas lit up our candles a veritable illumination they never tried to put out our lamps after that yes those were glorious nights and art was honored in those days there was a man called georges a french canadian i believe a man of large fortune and splendid brains he came to a bad end afterwards i am sorry to say this with airiest indifference he used to give little suppers at the cafe de paris or the maison d'or suppers of half a dozen at most banquets for the gods i was generally one of that select circle you painted this friend of yours no doubt suggested heathcote this monsieur georges no he had a curious antipathy to sitting for his portrait i wanted to paint him he had a fine head highly paintable a fine picturesque head which was all the more picturesque on account of a particularly artistic wig do you mean to say that he wore a wig habitually he had lost his hair in south america after a severe attack of fever and it had never grown again he wore a light auburn wig with hair that fell loosely and carelessly over his forehead almost touching his eyebrows the style suited him to perfection and the wig was so perfect in its simulation of nature that i doubt if any one but a painter or a woman would have detected that it was a wig he dressed in a careless semi-picturesque style turned down collar loose necktie velvet coat and with that long hair of his he had altogether the air of a painter or a poet and you never painted him never i have sketched his head many a time from memory for my own amusement both before and after his disappearance but he never sat to me i might have made money by giving the police one of my sketches when they were trying to hunt georges down as a suspected murderer but i am not a judas to betray a friend at whose table i have eaten said the painter whose scriptural knowledge was derived solely from the old masters and who regarded the disciple's crime from a purely social point of view heathcote was careful to show the least possible curiosity about the vanished georges he listened with the air of a man who is charmed by a delightful conversationalist who admires the raconteur but who has no personal interest in the subject of the discourse and eugene tillet was accustomed so to talk and so to be heard he was an egotist of the first water and was not a close observer of other people heathcote was now assured of the one fact which he wanted to know the painter had made numerous sketches of his friend and no doubt had some of those sketches still in his possession as they could have had little value for the dealers the question now 
was to get at his sketch-books as quickly as possible the mention of your sketches recalled the object of my visit which your very delightful conversation had made me almost forget said heathcote eugene acknowledged the compliment with a smile i am very anxious to become the possessor of a few of your sketches in black and white colour pencil what you will there is no kind of art that i love better than those first airy fancies of the painter's mind those jottings of inspiration i am the possessor of a few very nice things in that way this was strictly true sketches by mulready leslie maclise and many other of our english artists i should much like to add yours to my collection eugene tillet's sallow cheeks flushed faintly at the compliment it was very long since any one had offered to buy the work of his brush or his pencil it was very long since he had touched money of his own earning and here was an english milord an enthusiastic simpleton ready to give him gold and silver for the sweepings of his studio his pale cheeks flushed his faded eyes kindled at the thought his hands were tremulous as he unlocked a cupboard and drew forth three or four dusty sketchbooks from the place where they had lain for the last ten years neglected forgotten counted as mere lumber his hand had long lost its cunning and in that slough of despond into which he had gone down he had lost even the love of his art it had been said that an artist may lose in a twelvemonth the manipulative power which it has cost him many years to acquire and it is a certainty that eugene tillet's hand could not for the offer of thousands have produced anything as good as the worst of the drawings in those half-forgotten sketch-books if we can find anything in these books that you would care to possess he said laying the dusty volumes in front of heathcote you had better wait till i get them dusted for you but heathcote was too eager to endure delay he wiped off some of the dust with his cambric handkerchief and opened the uppermost volume the sketches were full of talent intensely interesting to any lover of art they were sketches over which edward heathcote could have lingered long under other circumstances as it was he had considerable difficulty in concealing his impatience and appearing interested in the book on artistic grounds he remembered himself so far as to select two pencil sketches of girlish faces before he closed the first volume which contained no drawing that bore upon the object of his search the second was also a blank but from this heathcote chose three or four clever caricatures which the painter cut out at his request you must kindly put down your own price for these things he said as he opened the third volume on the second page he saw the face he had been looking for the face he had expected to see but although this thing did not come upon him as a surprise although that penciled likeness the last link of the chain served only to confirm the settled conviction which had gradually taken possession of his mind was sharp enough to drive the blood from his face to set his heart beating like a sledgehammer it was so then it was as he had thought ever since his conversation with barbe leroux this was the man this was marie prévol's lover and her murderer this was the cold-blooded assassin of leonie lamarque he sat silent breathless 
staring blankly at the face before him a vigorous pencil drawing of strongly marked features eager eyes under drooping hair a sensitive face a face alive with passionate feeling the eyes looked straight at the spectator the lips seemed as if in the next instant they would move in speech the attitude was careless hands clasped on the back of a chair chin resting on the clasped hands the whole bust full of power and intention yes just so might an ardent thinker an eloquent speaker have looked at one of those midnight gatherings of wits and romancers the sketch was evidently an immediate reminiscence and must have been made when the subject was a vivid image in the artist's mind happily for heathcote's secret his agitation entirely escaped eugene tillet's notice the painter was dreamily contemplating the sketches he had just cut out of his book and thinking what a great man he had been when he had made them i should like to have this one said heathcote when he had recovered himself and this and this and this he added turning the leaves hastily and choosing at random so as to make that first choice less particular monsieur tillet cut out all that were indicated to him that is the man i was talking to you about he said as he laid the portrait of georges with the rest of the sketches it is a wonderful likeness too an extraordinary likeness dashed off at a white heat one morning after i had been particularly impressed by the charm of his society he was a man in a thousand poor devil a pity that he should have got himself into such a disagreeable scrape later but he was a fool for running away he ought to have given himself up and stood his trial why because he would have inevitably been acquitted you may murder anybody you like in france if you can show a sentimental motive for the crime and this business of poor georges was entirely a sentimental murder he would have had the press and the public with him the verdict would have been not guilty the populace would have cheered him as he left the palais de justice the press would have raved about him and he would have been the rage in parisian society for a month afterwards but you who knew both the victims you who had received kindnesses from maxime de montcroix surely you cannot judge that double murder with so much leniency expostulated heathcote the painter shrugged his shoulders with infinite expression maxime de montcroix was a most estimable young man he said but what the devil was he doing in that galley and now if you will kindly tell me the sum total of my small purchases i shall have the pleasure of giving you notes for the amount said heathcote shocked at the frenchman's cynicism monsieur tillet handed him his hastily jotted account the prices he had put upon his sketches were extremely modest considering the man's egotism the amount came in all to less than a thousand francs but heathcote insisted upon making the payment fifteen hundred an insistence which was infinitely gratifying to fallen genius i shall remember monsieur on my deathbed that there was an englishman who appreciated my work when my countrymen had forgotten me he said with mingled pathos and dignity allow me to put up the sketches for you i do not think you will ever regret having bought them while eugene tillet was searching among the litter of papers woodblocks and bristol board upon his son's table in the hope of finding two stray pieces of cardboard within which to guard his sketches the door was quickly opened and two girls came into the room the first was mathilde tillet the second was heathcote's sister 
Hilda! he exclaimed. Hilda stood before him in silence, with drooping head, pale with surprise and embarrassment. Somebody told you I was here, she faltered at last. Nobody told me, he answered, smiling at her confusion. I have not even been looking for you, or making inquiries as to your whereabouts. Your letter was so very self-assertive, you seemed so completely mistress of the situation, that I felt it would be folly to interfere with you. As I opposed you when you wanted to marry Bothwell Graham, it would be very inconsistent of me to oppose your renunciation of him. Hilda gave a faint sigh. This speech of her brother's was reassuring, but it implied discredit to Bothwell. She would fain have stood up for her true knight, would fain have praised him whom she had forsaken, but she felt it was safer to hold her peace. By and by, when her sacrifice was completed, and when Bothwell Graham was Lady Valeria's husband, she could afford to defend his character. No, my dear child, our meeting was quite accidental. I came here to see Monsieur Tillet's drawings. A young friend is known to you, monsieur? inquired Eugène Tillet, who had looked on with some appearance of interest at a conversation of which he did not understand a word. This Mr. Heathcote was evidently Hilda's brother, of whom Mademoiselle Dupre had spoken before she introduced her protégé to the family circle. Your young friend is my sister, monsieur, answered Heathcote, and since she was determined to run away from home, I am glad she fell into such good hands. And now you have found her, you are going to carry her off, I suppose, said Tillet. It will be a pity, for I hear that her talents have made a strong impression upon one of the cleverest professors at the Conservatoire, and that she may do great things with her voice if she pursue her studies there. My young people will be in despair at losing her. They shall not lose her quite immediately, replied Heathcote, though if she is bent upon studying at the Conservatoire, I think it would be better for her to have her old governess to look after her in Paris. Fräulein Meyerstein, exclaimed Hilda, she would worry me out of my life. She would talk about, about the past. She could not bring herself to mention Bothwell's name just yet. My only chance of ever being happy again is to forget my old life. There is some possibility of that here, among new faces and new surroundings, and they are all so kind to me here. Madame Tillet is like a mother. All this was said hurriedly in English, while Monsieur Tillet discreetly occupied himself putting away his sketchbooks. Mathilde had withdrawn, and was telling her mother about the unpleasant surprise that had greeted her return. "'How do you come to know these people?' asked Heathcote. "'Mademoiselle Dupre brought me here. She has known the Tillets all her life. She will answer to you for their respectability.' well we will think about it let me look at you hilda you are not very blooming my poor child it does not seem to me that paris agrees with you over well paris agrees with me quite as well as any other place she answered quietly he took her hand and led her to the window and looked thoughtfully into the sad pale face with its expression of settled pain yes he knew what that look meant he had experienced that dull slow agony of an aching heart he had surrendered all that was dearest in life and she must live through the aching sense of loss live on to days of dull contentment with a sunless lot 
he who himself had never learned the lesson of forgetfulness was not inclined to think lightly of his sister's trouble you look very unhappy hilda he said i begin to question the wisdom of your conduct do you believe that bothwell really cared more for this audacious widow than for you he had been devoted to her for years answered hilda i saw his letters i saw the evidence of his love under his own hand he wrote to her as he never wrote to me he was younger in those days argued heathcote youngsters are fond of big words ah but that first love must be the truest i never cared for any one till i saw bothwell and i know that my first love will be my last i hope not said heathcote i hope you have acted wisely in your prompt renunciation there were reasons why i did not care for the match you surely have left off suspecting him said hilda with an indignant look you are not mad enough to think that he was concerned in that girl's death no hilda that suspicion is a thing of the past and now let us talk seriously you have set your heart upon pursuing your studies at the conservatoire it is my only object in life and you would like to remain in this family very much they are the cleverest nicest people i ever saw with the exception of my nearest and dearest you and dora and bothwell they are all as kind to me as if i were a daughter of the house the life suits me exactly i should like to stay here for a twelvemonth that is a categorical answer said heathcote and leaves me no alternative i will make a few inquiries about monsieur tillet and his surroundings and if the replies are satisfactory you shall stay here but i shall send glossop over to look after you and your frocks it is not right that my sister should be without a personal attendant of some kind i don't want glossop if she comes here she will write to her friends in cornwall and tell them where i am no she won't she will have my instructions before she leaves the spaniards she shall send all her cornish letters through me and now good-bye it is just possible that i may not see you again before i leave paris you are going to leave paris soon very soon then i suppose you have found out all you want to know about that poor girl who was murdered yes i have found out all i want to know thank god it was so terrible to think there were people living who could suspect bothwell it is horrible to think there was any man base enough to murder that helpless girl a man so steeped in hypocrisy that he could defy suspicion you know who committed the murder inquired hilda i can answer no more questions you will learn all in time the difficulty will be to forget the hideous story when you have once heard it good-bye they were alone in the tillet salon monsieur tillet having retired while they were talking he reappeared on the landing outside to hand mr heathcote the parcel of sketches and to make his respectful adieu to that discerning amateur monsieur your brother is the most accomplished englishman i ever met said the painter to hilda when his visitor had disappeared in the obscurity of the staircase he patted his waistcoat pocket as he spoke the sensation of having banknotes there was altogether new he had been fed upon the fat of the land by his devoted wife he had been provided with petty cash by his dutiful children but to touch a lump sum the price of his own work seemed the renewal of youth do you remember the curious name of that picture of landseer's mashat he said 
chucking his wife under the chin when she came bustling in from her housewifely errands there is life in the old dog yet there is life in the old dog que voici see here i have been earning money while you have been flanonchon he showed her the corner of the little sheaf of notes coquettishly she held out her hand expecting to be entrusted with the treasure but he shook his head smiling a tender smile no mon enfant we will not trifle with this windfall he said we will treat it seriously it shall be the nucleus of our future fortune j'achèterai des rentes the tears welled up in the wife's honest eyes tears not of gratitude but of mortification she knew this husband of hers well enough to be very sure that every sou in those banknotes would have dribbled out of the painter's pockets in a few weeks and that no one least of all the squanderer himself would know how it had been spent or in what respect he was the better for its expenditure End of chapter eight